Hey guys, welcome to a new episode. This is your host, Mohamed Halaiba. Let's get started. What is Henscholian purpura? This is the most common immune-mediated small vessel vasculitis in children. Typically affects multiple organs, particularly skin, GI system, uh, urinary system, and joints. Peak age is seven years. On the GI system, what we see is circumferential bowel wall thickening involving discontinuous segments, and this would give the appearance of thumb printing on radiograph due to intramural hemorrhage and or edema. You can get alluvial into susception most commonly and arthralgia in children. Again, Henschelian uh, purpura, most common small vessel vasculitis, typically involves the children peak age at seven. Almost all children will get petechia or purpura in their skin, and they can have abdominal pain due to circumferential bowel wall thickening uh, that is discontinuous and would appear on chest X-ray on abdominal X-ray as thumb printing due to intramural hemorrhage and edema. They can have intussusception and joint pain. Quick review of hepatic segmentation. So the middle hepatic vein divides the liver into right and left lobe. So again, the middle hepatic vein divides the liver into the right and left hepatic lobe. So it runs parallel to the IVC and into the gallbladder fossa. So it divides the liver into the left and right lobe. Then the right hepatic vein divides the right lobe into anterior and posterior. So anterior and posterior division are based on the right hepatic vein. Finally, the portal vein divides the liver into upper and lower segments. When we say upper, meaning closer to the chest, and lower segment, closer to the rest of the abdomen or pelvis. Okay, again, middle hepatic vein divides the liver into right lobe and left lobe. Right hepatic vein divides the right lobe into anterior and posterior segment. Anterior, meaning toward the anterior abdominal wall. Posterior, meaning toward the spine. And finally, the portal vein divides the liver into upper and lower segments. We'll go more detail in segmentation of the liver on the uh, on an upcoming podcast. Okay, another physics question. The total effective dose equivalent to an individual member from the public from operation of a licensed facility, so like a CT scan or a hospital or so on. What is the maximum level? It should not exceed 0.1 rem or 1 millisievert. Again, total effective dose from an imaging center or a facility should not exceed 0.1 rem, which equals 1 millisievert. Again, let's go over the conversion of rem into sievert. We said each rem equals a, or 100 rem equals 1 sievert. So 0.1 rem, all right, so 0.1 rem would equal one millisievert. Now, just to put this ratio or dose in perspective, a normal background radiation that an individual receives in a year is approximately three millisievert. Again, approximately an individual receives three millisievert, and the total effective dose from operation of a licensed facility should not exceed one millisievert. So, uh, should not exceed one third of their total yearly dose. What is portal hypertensive colopathy or gastropathy or enteropathy? Again, portal hypertensive colopathy 
from the colon, gastropathy from the stomach, and enteropathy is from the small bowel. This is a sequel of chronic portal hypertension, which leads to congestion and dilation and ectasia of small submucosal vessels in the GI tract. Again, uh, chronic portal hypertension leads to dilation or ectasia of submucosal vessels in the GI tract. In the stomach, it's called uh, portal hypertensive gastropathy, in the small bowel, it's portal hypertensive enteropathy, and in the colon, it's portal hypertensive colopathy. This can result in low-grade lower GI bleed or upper GI bleed without varicose veins, so it can be uh, occult on imaging and would result in iron deficiency anemia. Again, portal hypertensive enteropathy or gastropathy or colopathy results from dilation of submucosal vessels due to chronic portal hypertension mechanism of amorphous selenium TFT panel. Again, the mechanism of amorphous selenium TFT panel, this converts the absorbed x-rays into electrons directly. So x-rays into electron directly is amorphous selenium TFT panel. Again, we have different ways of converting x-rays into electrons. Amorphous selenium TFT panel will directly convert x-rays into electrons. Intracranial ependymoma. Now, the intracranial ependymoma is divided into two groups, infratentorial and supratentorial. Two-thirds of ependymomas are infratentorial, and we talked about them previously uh, when we compared them to the other pediatric masses. Now, the supratentorial ependymoma, about 60% of them are extraventricular. Okay, These represent large, complex-appearing mixed solid and cystic Hemispheric mass can have calcifications and intramural hemorrhage is common. Again, most ependymomas or two-thirds of ependymomas are infratentorial and seen in pediatric patients. We discussed that previously. A one-third of them are supratentorial. About 60 or two-thirds of the supratentorial ependymomas are extraventricular. They represent a large complex appearing mass with solid and cystic component can have calcifications as well as intramural hemorrhage. Quickly, uh, regarding the infratentorial or posterior fossa ependymomas, these are soft tumor, which we said toothpaste tumor, that squeezes through the foramen of Majendi and into the cisterna magna. Again, it accommodates the ventricle shape and it squeezes through the ventricle. These are intraventricular tumor when they're infratentorially. The key differential for infratentorial ependymoma that they want us to differentiate is medulloblastoma. Medulloblastoma would not just squeeze through, rather it would cause mass effect. And medulloblastoma would, would present with diffusion restriction. That's a key distinguishing feature between ependymoma or infratentorial ependymoma and uh, medulloblastoma. Easy one ureterovesical junction. This is the junction where the ureter meets the bladder, and there is a one-way valve there uh, that allows urine to empty into the bladder. So it's not a straight opening, but it allows urine to enter into the bladder, and urine, um, once it enters the bladder, does not come back or reflex into the ureters unless there is pathology. Again, ureterovesical junction is junction of the ureter and the bladder, and that's where Commonly, stones get stuck. Difference between cauda equina and conus medullaris. Conus medullaris is the last segment of the spinal cord as it terminates. The 
cauda equina is the rest of the spinal roots that have not exited at the level of the cauda, uh, I mean, at the level of conus medullaris. So conus medullaris represent the termination of the spinal cord, typically L1, L2, and the cauda equina is the tail of a horse or the rest of the spinal roots that have not yet left the uh, through the vertebral or the spinal canal. Just to check in if we remember this fact. Total effective dose from a license of an uh, of a facility to an individual or a public individual, meaning this is not someone who goes and gets a scan, but rather someone walking by. Total effective dose should be less than 0.1 rim, or as we said before, one millisievert. A total background radiation for an individual living in the United States is approximately three millisievert per year. So one-third of that is allowed to be from uh, public uh, facilities. Hypertrophic osteoarthropathy. This is the common uh, x-ray finding that they show on, like the tibia or the fibia, with you see linear lucencies or periosteal bone formation around the uh, tibia, typically associated with pulmonary disorders, bronchogenic carcinoma, and inflammatory bowel disease. And typically what they're trying to get to you to say, they'll show an x-ray of the tibia with the peristeal new bone or new lines of bone formation. And they're trying to get you to answer that the patient should get a chest CT scan next. So again, hypertrophic osteoarthropathy uh, can be seen in pulmonary cancers, particularly bronchogenic carcinoma and inflammatory bowel disease, presentation with peristeal new bone formation, clubbing, and painful swollen joints. What does REM stands for? REM stands for Röntgen Equivalent Man. So it's a radiation unit. It stands for Röntgen Equivalent Man. What is adenomyomatosis? Adenomyomatosis is basically hyperplasia of the gallbladder wall, which can be focal or can be diffuse. So it's diverticular hyperplasia of the gallbladder wall, which present with focal or segmental gallbladder wall thickening due to mucosal proliferation and hypertrophy of the muscularis layer. This is seen due to uh, invagination of the excess mucosa into the thickened muscularis layer forming the Rokitansky-Ashaf sinuses. On Doppler imaging, we see twinkle artifact due to reverberation of the sound wave. Again, adenomyomatosis is thickening of the gallbladder benign process due to diverticular uh, you know, invagination into the muscularis layer. Can be focal or diffuse. Do not confuse with adenomyosis, which is a uterine pathology of endometrial tissue within the myometrium. This is adenomyomatosis in the gallbladder. Mirror artifact. This is an ultrasound artifact when the primary ultrasound wave hits a highly reflective surface commonly seen at the diaphragm. Epstein anomaly. This is commonly described on imaging as box-shaped heart. This is due to tricuspid valve malformation, due to downward displacement and abnormal attachment of the tricuspid valve, leading to very large right atrium with atrialized inlet portion of the right ventricle. So again, very large right atrium on chest x-ray. It's described as box-shaped heart, Epstein anomaly. I believe it's associated with maternal lithium. When cyvert equals how many rims? One cyvert equals 100 rim. 
imaging features of Ewing sarcoma. So Ewing sarcoma is a small round neuroendocrine tumor or peanut. Typically affects small children and adolescents with male predominance. Imaging features permeative bone distraction and aggressive periosteal reaction and often associated with a soft tissue mass. The key thing is to differentiate between Ewing sarcoma and osteosarcoma. The location is very similar, meaning diaphyseal and metadiaphyseal. The key thing is osteosarcoma is a bone-forming lesion, and we will see an associated soft tissue mass in osteosarcoma, but that soft tissue mass will contain calcifications. Again, the soft tissue mass in osteosarcoma will contain calcifications because osteosarcoma is a bone-forming lesion. In Ewing sarcoma, we will not have a soft tissue calcifications. If we have calcifications, the calcifications will be due to periosteal reaction, so they will be adjacent to bone inflammation. Again, Ewing sarcoma, similar age to osteosarcoma in terms of the peak adolescent and young children, permeative bone destruction and aggressive periosteal reaction with associated soft tissue mass. The soft tissue mass does not typically contain calcifications, and this is what differentiates it from osteosarcoma. What is the mechanism of spectral broadening? So spectral broadening describes an ultrasound phenomena, whereas there is a widened distribution of red blood cell velocities, and this broadened uh, or widened distribution of red blood cell velocities due to disruption of laminar flow. So what laminar flow is bell-shaped velocity curve, meaning that the majority of blood cells are flowing under certain velocity in the middle of the vessel. When there is stenosis or stricture or uh, bifurcation of a vessel, there is a disruption of this laminar velocity or laminar blood flow. And so we'll get disruption or widened distribution of red blood cell velocities. Again, spectral broadening is uh, widened distribution of red blood cell velocities due to disruption of laminar flow. All right, guys, don't forget to share the podcast. Thank you.